Welcome back to another episode of the Lovecast. In today's episode, I talk to my cousin Mikey from the Uppercut Podcast, and he is going to be giving us his takeaways from going to Miami versus Denver, Game 3 in Miami. So without further ado, here is Mikey. All right, I'm here with Mikey from the Uppercut Podcast that me and Mikey and Jeff do. Mikey was at Heat and Nuggets Game 3. He was in Miami in the building, um, unfortunately for him. But still, I I would imagine probably still a good experience. I haven't talked to you about it yet. But I want to hear your key takeaways because something we do on the Lovecast is we always do like a key takeaway from going to the game and seeing it in person because I think you can agree. There's so much more you see and pick up on when you're in in building, correct? Oh, holy shit, dude. I mean, I'll die dive a little deeper into it as we get into the episode but the, like the the pace of the game one thing that really stood out to me that was so alarming to me was how much joke controls the pace of the entire game in person i mean you see it on the internet it's literally a mean big slow white guy but when you see it in person the way he just controls the entire flow of the whole game is insane yeah i i'm one of my goals is to see him in person because i think he's one of those guys you have to see in person while he's still doing what he's doing because he seems like such a dynamic player on the screen. And I guess, like you said, it really sticks out in person. Um, I think the best, the I've never really been to a, a great Celtics game because they're so expensive. Um, the one I went to this year was against the Pacers. And the one that stuck out to me with the most was Tyrese Halliburton. And that was because he was setting mm-hmm. the pace like crazy. So I, I can't imagine what it's like watching someone like Jokic, who's so dynamic, so big, sticks out so much on the floor um, and then just is so dynamic of a player. So what were your, uh, what was your first takeaway from being there in person other than the Jokic thing? So walking into the stadium, one of the things uh, it is definitely true. What everyone says about the Miami fans showing up late, the place was packed, but it was so funny because it was like two minutes after tip off. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. At tip off. I'm like, this is a finals game. What the fuck's going on here? And then like two minutes in the place is just loud packed. I don't know if it's because of traffic or, you know, people in Miami live a whole different lifestyle than the rest of the country. I don't know if they're, like, doing other shit before the game. Maybe the finals isn't a big deal to them. Coke Coke in the bathroom would be my guess. (laughs) Yeah, right. But it was fucking awesome. And if you ever have a chance, anyone listening to go to a finals game, I would spend the money and do it. It was fucking amazing. The whole experience was great. Their stadium is by far the night. Like, and I'm not even – I'm way more of a Ravens and Orioles fan than a Heat fan, but – that Kaseya Center is by far the nicest stadium I've ever been to. I'm, like, dorking out, sending pictures to my mom, my girlfriend while I'm there. I'm like, look at all this shit. The whole stadium's so updated. It's all, like, Miami-themed. So nice. All the fans were nice. I would really, really advise go to a Heat or a Finals game, either one. Whatever one anyone can get to first. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, What stadiums have you been to? Um, So, me and Jeff went to Buffalo, went to the Bills Stadium, watched them play the that? Ravens. It was okay. The fans are really cool. That stadium's old as fuck. Yeah. And you could tell. Like, we sat in bleachers, which oh, was really? fucking sucked. <laughs> wow, yeah. that sucks. And we were, like, four rows off the field, and it was bleachers. Because I tough. think the end zones were bleachers, and then the sides were seats. But pretty much all the D.C. area stadiums, Baltimore, all, all the Philadelphia stadiums. I think I went to – um, what's the Giants and Jets in East Rutherford? What's theirs called? Yeah, uh, MetLife. MetLife, yeah. I've driven past yeah, that. I think I went there when I was younger. 
I haven't been. I still want to go to the Steelers. I haven't been there. But of all of those, so maybe only like, I don't know, relatively small sample size, but five to ten stadiums, that was by far the nicest one. Yeah, I've only been to the TD Garden. I've been to Camden Yards. I've been to Fenway. I've uh, TD Garden for a Celtics game. I've never been to a Bruins game. That's on the bucket list. Tickets are way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee. I've been there, obviously. Um, Neyland Stadium. And then I think that's about it. I think that's actually it. I'm going to Gillette for the first time on Sunday to go to a, a meet and greet for Boston Celtics Twitter. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, for uh, MLS game, the, the New England Revolution. So, Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. And while we're at the game, it's probably just about oh, halftime. Oh, yeah, messy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they announced it in the fucking – and, you know, it's a lot of soccer fans down there because of close yeah. proximity to, like, South America and shit. Mm-hmm. Dude, they went nuts. Really? You would have thought, thought the Heat were winning. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> blew – yeah, they announced it. It was like they took over the Jumbotron. They were like, welcome to Inter-Miami or Lionel wow. Messi. And they went insane. Dude, this is – that move is uh, – chain is a big – that's such a huge move. Did you see like the the changes that that move is going to bring for one American soccer, two MLS in general, and then three just Miami? Like that's a that's a huge move. I I, I saw that um, MLS or whatever the team is, Inter Miami or whatever they they went from one million followers on Instagram to five million overnight, and then yeah. I'm wondering if it's going to like kind of usher in like I'm trying to think who would have started that movement. Maybe you would say Dirk if it's going to kind of usher in like a lot of European and South American players coming to America to play soccer. I really hope it does because I actually yeah. enjoy soccer. Like, I enjoy watching it. I love, would like I to loved, watch it live. Yeah, and I loved watching the World Cup this year. I thought this was – well, obviously, this is one of the best World Cups of all time. But still, like, I would really love to see America be good. So, we're off track. Um, let's get back to other takeaways that you had from the Miami game being in person. Um, one of the big takeaways I had was that it, I could not stop thinking. I wanted to text you and I forgot about the glaring similarities between the Celtics play styles and the Miami Heat's play style. Like <laughs> you cannot win a fucking game shooting threes and only shooting. I think they shot like 11 or 35 or 36. Like they only shot around 30%. And it's one thing if you shoot 30% and then you have other avenues of offense. But I th- I think we got outscored by about, it had to have been around 25 in the paint. It was like hovering yeah. right around 30 points all because I kept checking it during the game. It was like hovering around 30 points in the paint. Like it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. There's really no way to win with that offense. And I, I'm not sure if it's wear and tear from the entire playoffs. I don't know what's going on with Jimmy. I know he's a lot more aggressive and he didn't have the worst game ever, but I really noticed it in person. Him and Bam missed so many gimme shots. Bam specifically. Bam went 7 for 21, shooting 32% from the field. And I'm telling you, I would have to go back and count. I bet eight of those shots he missed were within – and I understand he's a post player, but were with at least a couple feet of space and probably from – 10 to 5 foot range like he, they just missed a lot of shots and I don't like to just chalk it up to that because I know basketball is a lot more complex than that but the missed shots just they destroyed Miami I was so we did an episode with Jordan and Butsy talking about like recapping this game and Jordan's argument was that the threes were kind of the thing that set them apart and they need to go back to the threes and the fact that they missed the threes was why they lost and then I, I sort of was like I actually think that Denver's defense was so good that they were missing all these 
you know, give me bunny shots like you were talking about. Do you think that was related to the Denver defense or was that Miami's legs just being tired? The, the threes, I think, were all legs tired because they didn't have they don't yeah. really shoot a lot of contested threes like any game. But the twos, I do agree with you. And I'm not even sure if it's Denver's defense is that good or just the length they possess over Miami really shined in this game. They Miami found a way in game two to not let that control the game. This game, it just it shined through and throughout. Like Aaron Gordon started to look good again, even on defense. Kevin Love did not look good starting. Like it was, he was like our kryptonite game too. Him starting made all the difference. Kevin Love just looked, he looked lost on D. De- he looked old, to be honest. He looked lost on defense, gave up a lot of backdoor cuts. And Denver's just long. It's really hard for any team to match up with them. Like Boston could have maybe matched up with them well because they're pretty long around the board, but. Denver is just unbelievable with their length and the way they move around the court. So I think it was a little of both. Yeah, so let, we'll get back to the Kevin Love thing because I that's a really interesting point you made. But so that's what so that's what I said. I, I was like, yeah, I think it was their defense length, whatever. To me, that's scary because I think that's the way. That's not something that's going to go away, and that's where I'm a little bit scared for the Heat now because I don't see it getting any easier for you guys to or to. I don't see you guys making more, you know, interior jumpers because it's not like you guys had an off shooting night. I think it was the defense. So are you do you think that the Heat are going to win the series or like how are you feeling about the series? It's uh, it's a double edged sword because it's like if we because game two, we shot right around 50 percent from three. I know that's super high and not a league average. Mm. It's above the league average. But if we could shoot that tonight. I don't see why we can't win. And if Bam plays better, I don't see why we can't win. But then again, like you were just saying, one of my big worries is this is wear on the legs. Because if it's wear on the legs, that's also not going to leave. Because mm-hmm. now it went – I'm not sure why they're doing it either. Now it went from two-day rest to one-day rest, which makes me even a little more worried. And yeah. another thing I noticed in person too I wanted to harp on a little bit is I am not – I I text you a lot about it joking, definitely during the Celtics season – or the series – I'm not blaming the refs at all, but sometimes, like, especially like Tony Brothers and them, make it so hard. Like, I don't know in the near future how anyone's going to beat the Nuggets in the playoffs. They make it so impossible to guard Jogic. Like, there's nothing – I don't know if it's because he's so slow. Like, in person, it seemed like they were missing some fouls on both teams, not just Miami, from the faster players who would, like, say they'd get a board, get slapped, no one noticed, they take off. Jokic plays so slow that everything he does is like it's like every little movement. And that's not to take nothing away from him because he is the best player in basketball. And I know James Harden did the same thing when he had his MVP season, but he's so hard to guard with the style of today's NBA. Yeah, I think it's guys like Jokic, Giannis, um, Harden up there, although they kind of stopped calling fouls in Harden's favor, which thank God they did because what he does. But I think. Jokic, Giannis, and Bede are just really hard to uh, officiate for. Um, so I want to loop back to the Kevin Love thing that you mentioned because that was another thing. On on the recap episode, we could not figure out why Kevin Love got sat because, as you mentioned, Game 2, Kevin Love was an integral part in defending Jokic and defending Aaron Gordon. He offered some size that Caleb Martin did not have um, and that Aaron Gordon was exploiting in Game 1 uh, in Game 2. So why you you can you go into a little bit more as to why Kevin Love got benched? So it sounds like he was getting back cut on and you know was looking at slow. 
Yeah, I, he hit an early three too, which I felt good about. But he just—I thought he looked off on the defensive end, and that's where we really need to thrive more than the offensive. Because the Heat are one of them teams; they're one of the few teams in the NBA still who can kind of beat you with defense to make their offense. And he just, at least in the first quarter, I, it was hard for me to pay attention specifically to him after that. But at least in the first quarter, like he. He missed a backdoor cut on Aaron Gordon, just throws his arms up like he's kind of lost. And I have all the respect in the world for Kevin Love. He just looked a step off on the defense. And I think it gets to a point where Spolstra is very – like he's non-bullshit. Like it gets to the yeah. point where if you're the anchor on the floor at the time, he'll take you the fuck out. And did it bite him in the ass? Maybe. I don't think we would have won the game whether Kevin Love played one minutes or not. I don't think this was Miami's game to win, but – I just think Spolster's one of them guys, too. He's not going to keep you in if you're anchoring the offense or defense. He's taking you the fuck out. He does the same thing with Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent's a vital part to our team. If Vincent's missing, Lowry's coming in. It's pretty much a guarantee. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point you bring up there. Um, any players that stuck out to you either side, not not the stars, but any like role players that you just, you know, like just kind of stuck out? I, I remember for me. Um, the ones that stuck out, it was Tyrese Halliburton, Miles uh, Turner, like I said. But then the other guy that stuck out to me, and I can't remember his name right now, was um, the guard for the Pacers. He's like a rookie. I forget his name. He was so quick and like unexpectedly good on defense that I just like could not. Re- oh, it was well, yeah. So one of them was Benedict Matherin. That's mm-hmm. it was uh, Nemhard was the one. Andrew Nemhard really yeah, stuck yeah, out to yep. me. Like. His on-ball pressure that I that he was, I thought he really swayed the game. Um, but is there any guy like sort of like I know maybe Christian Brown, um, but any a guy that you can think of that sort of stuck out to you being in person? Um, so from the Miami side, what stuck out to me was no one. What stuck <laughs> out to me specifically, honestly, was like so you know how when you go to a game and they have the jumbotron and on the corners of the jumbotrons you can see everyone's stats. I think yeah. it usually just has points or maybe points, rebounds, assists. When yeah. you would see Miami players sub in, it would just be the most abysmal-looking yeah. stat line. Because Bam and Jimmy had some points. I think like Dunk or Caleb Martin might add 10. Every yeah. other player was sitting at like four, two, six. <laughs> so the underwhelming performance by Miami's role players, which they rode this whole playoffs, really stuck out to me. One person besides the obvious Christian Brown was uh, Jeff Green. He just makes... And even if he doesn't have a big game, he's just another big body that makes a weird matchup for Miami because they have to still put someone on him. And, like, I saw a lot, like, they would have, like, almost like Gabe Vincent or someone guarding Jeff Green, and they're trying to get him the ball, which I think even if he doesn't shoot and make it, it's just creating a lot of pressure on the floor. I kept noticing that because I think Jeff Green might only had, like, six points maybe, but he's just another big body that creates another mismatch in the court, which I think is what Denver has been thriving off of this whole series as far. That's like the perfect answer, in my opinion. That's the exact guy that I was looking for because that's the type yeah. of thing that you notice in person. Yeah, and to be honest, this is not like a shot at Denver or anything, but a lot of the role players besides Bruce Brown, Christian Braun, let's be fair, he's a rookie, but he's only had one good game this series thus far. I mean, it, a lot of the role players don't do a whole lot either, so Jeff Green was definitely one that stood out for me. Yeah. What was it like watching Michael Porter Jr.? He's sneaky large, right? Isn't he massive? Yeah, he's a big motherfucker, and he plays good defense. He's super uh, – it, it's really disappointing for me to, like, not just watch him in person, but watch him throughout the season. He's super disappointing on offense, though, because he's so fucking streaky. 
Like yeah. he'll come down, hit like three open threes, and I'm telling you, his it, it looks good in on TV, but in person, his jumper is so smooth looking, and he's so big, and he elevates so high. And when he misses, it's like clunk. Like yeah. it's a hard miss when he misses. It's, it's a tough miss. Yeah, he'll come down and miss like three straight too. Like I don't, he's got to definitely clean that up. But he's another guy who it was in game one. I think he blocked Butler twice. Like he's just another big body on defense who makes it hard. Like he's another guy that can throw it. Jimmy, he's another guy they can throw it. If Max Struess is streaking, they could throw it him. They could throw it Duncan Robinson. He's definitely a vital part to their team. He might be the third or fourth option, but he's a vital part. One of my favorite in-person things that I noticed was Tennessee played Auburn in 2021, I believe. Or, yeah, 2021, maybe 2022. And I think it was actually 2022. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Tennessee played a number one ranked Auburn team. They came in. Tennessee was ranked, I think, like 10. It was the year Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler were on Auburn. Mm-hmm. And um, me and my friend Carson were in probably like in the fourth row. So we had we had waited all morning, you know, whatever. And I remember seeing Walker Kessler that close. He was probably at most like 20 feet away from me. And just being like, this guy is going to be so fucking good in the nba and i remember seeing he didn't go that high didn't have a ton of hype and now what is walker kessler like he was like in the running for defensive player of the year so going to to games in person i know it's hard to do but there is ways to do it like if you're a student go to your game go to the games at your school if you're a fucking if you're able to get some shitty nosebleed tickets go i'm telling you it's so it's so fucking worth it the things that you can pick up are just insane and it helps with analysis and it's just a great time every time i think one more thing i wanted to note about going in person too i kind of was mentioning this about uh i think it was when me and you talked about game seven we were talking about how robert williams kind of he's one of them guys who he might not put up 20 but he has a lot of like deflating plays like he deflates the crowd and the other team jamal murray is that guy for the nuggets like Mm. there were three or four different times when i'm like Paying attention to the game, I kind of look down on my phone. I look back up because I'm looking down, texting everyone like, this game's so fucking awesome. I look back up, and then the Heat, like, close it in to, like, say, seven points. And, you know, with Miami, if you're within 10, there's always a chance. So I would look down, look up, we're within seven points. And then Jamal Murray just effortlessly comes down Mm -hmm. the court and hits, like, this smooth step back three to put them back up 10. And it's like, the crowd, we all went from standing, waving our towels to sitting down, sulking in them. Like, he's just <laughs> one of them guys. Like, there's, like, certain guys on each team who do that. And, like, if you're not at the game, you might not think it's as big of a deal. But yeah. it really does, to me at least, deflate the momentum of, I would guess, the team because the crowd's out of it at that point, And you can feel the energy in the stadium. Like, okay, we're, we're rolling back. We're coming back. And then there's, like, like Robert Williams did it a couple times in Miami. He would catch a one-handed oop while Miami's coming back. And you're like, what the fuck was that? Like, yeah. that was just not the play. Like, you're even if you're on a 10-1 run, 10-2 run, whatever, some guys just have that ability. And Jamal Murray has that ability because he hits some tough shots where you make that face like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, there's got to be – yeah, there's just nothing worse than that. Um, Before I let you go, Udonis Haslam checked in. I'm not going to say he played because he didn't fucking play. He checked in to the game. Uh, What was that like? Did everyone go crazy? Or was it yeah. solemn at that point? Yeah, people – we're going crazy, but he put up a shot, and I think he airballed. Yeah, he like didn't even touch the rim. <laughs> it was quickly. And quickly Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray yeah. let him shoot that, and he 
airballed. Yeah, I I mean I still like Haslam. He's he's a yeah, huge fan to, favorite. Yeah, I think he's that. an NBA favorite too. I think everyone likes Haslam at this point. Yeah, he's he says a lot of shit sometimes, and it's like, well, you say a lot for a guy who plays a minute every other month, you know. He might end up being one of them guys who uh who says a lot, like especially when he retires, says a lot of stupid shit because that's what Paul Pierce does too. Yeah, Paul and he kind of reminds me of Paul crazy. Pierce. Yeah, Paul Pierce, and that's not that. a shot at the Celtics. That's just a shot at him. no, no, just, no. I'm with you. I love Paul like, Pierce because he brought me the first ever championship I've like witnessed, um, and I he drives me fucking nuts sometimes. He I'm was like, actually one of my favorite players when I was younger too, and yeah. he's just oh yeah. Some of the shit he says on the stand is insane. My dad uh called him on the like, so I, this was in the when he was like this was probably 2002 2003 because I was an infant. My dad was holding me, and I guess. He called into a radio show, and he he won the option to call to talk to Paul Pierce, and he just went like, "You can't handle the truth." And Paul Pierce was like, "That's fucking right," or something like that. And then, yeah, it was just <laughs> he's like holding me and all that type of shit. But yeah, uh, that dude, that's fucking Celtics, awesome. I'll never yeah. fucking go ahead. I was gonna say that two thousand. I was gonna Celtics say too. I'll never fucking go ahead Max. <laughs> all right that 2008 celtics team was the first ever championship i saw in person or not in person the first ever championship that i was old enough to experience i i was too young for 04 red Sox because i was only two but 2008 celtics I, I that's the one i remember um and then obviously 2013 red Sox, all that type of stuff but yeah continue with what you were saying I was gonna say too one of the one of the highlights I can never forget about him. I can't remember who they were playing when he came down the court like hunched over, talking shit, headband on, that was, and he oh, fucking fuck. drilled that fucking three, dude. That's one of like my favorite NBA highlights of all time. Oh, I, I want to say they were playing uh, like they were playing Washington or someone, but I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, but man. he drilled a deep three. Just yeah, I I can see it. Um. Oh fuck! Because but he's like, uh, I wanted to ask you real quick too before we get off here. What's your thoughts on the game tonight? What do you think? It was Pacers. How do you think it's gonna pan out. Okay, Indiana. Yeah, it was Pacers against um, like I don't even know who the fuck it was, but it was I think it was old school Pacers. Um, tonight I have no no lean on who the fuck is gonna win, and I honestly don't know how this game is gonna look. To be, I I know that's such a cop out answer, but every time I think the Heat are dead, they come back and win. So I gave out maybe leaning towards the heat because of that. But I also think that last night was kind of a kill shot for Denver. Um, this night is tonight is actually the kill shot. If they if Denver gets the win tonight, I think it's over for you guys, unfortunately. But I, oh, I, yeah, I don't know for sure. I, I tonight's going to be the hardest game for Denver, I think. I, I completely agree. I actually think it's going to be like a messy, dirty game. I, I anticipate a lot of turnovers, probably a lot of fouls. There's no fucking way in hell that he get out rebounded by 20 again. That was another big thing that stood out to me that you noticed in person. The the way they got out rebounded was fucking abysmal. And I know a lot of that was Jokic who had over 20, but still, still can't yeah. get rebounded by the rest of the team over 20. And the yeah. crazy part is, if you watch these games, like uh, Denver usually only gets maybe one or two more offensive boards. It's it's you never think about it this way, but it's the defensive boards that kill us. They just get every rebound that they should. And it allows yeah. them to set up their offense, streak down the court. Like, every rebound that they should get, they fucking get. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your uh, insight from going to the game with us. Um, really appreciate it. We'll have you on at the end of the series to talk about that. 
um, yeah, good luck to Miami for you. And yeah, we'll be on, I'll, I'll be talking with you on uppercut. So check that out. If you want to hear from more from Mikey and myself and Jeff, uh, head over to uppercut where we review and preview every fight, um, on UFC fight cards every week, as well as we interview UFC fighters. So yeah, thank especially you all for this listening. last episode, this last episode would be a great listen. Yeah, yeah. By the time you hear this, the, Mikey's talking about UFC Fight Night review, uh, Kai Car France versus Amir Albazi. Um, so check that one out because we we go very that I think that was Some one of the more debates angry. in the beginning. Yeah, that might, might have been one of the more angry episodes we've ever had. But yeah, thank you all for listening. We'll be back very soon to recap game four.